welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch podcast. With us today is a very special guest, Accidental CISO of Twitter fame. Now, Accidental preserves his anonymity on Twitter, which allows him to be a little more truthy about the CISO game than a lot of us can afford to be on social media. To that end, we're protecting his identity by distorting his voice somewhat on this show. Accidental, thanks so much for coming on down to the ranch. Hey, Alan. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. First, a brief word about our sponsor. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity. Time spent identifying devices that are missing endpoint agents with known vulnerabilities that are unmanaged, that need updates. Time spent identifying cloud instances that aren't being scanned, that are misconfigured. Time spent gathering asset data. Time is the enemy of cybersecurity, until Axonius. By connecting to existing data sources, customers get a comprehensive asset inventory, understand security gaps, and automatically validate and enforce security policies. Thank you, Axonius, for sponsoring this show. So what we're going to talk about today is, interestingly enough, all the aspects of becoming a CISO. What does it look like getting into the game? What is it like to be in the game for the first time? Uh, we're going to talk about accidental CISOs as well. Uh, so without further ado, let us dive in. So accidental, why don't you tell us first, how did you get into cyber? Well, for me, it was sort of a, I say the culmination of, you know, 20 year career at this point, I sort of realized in the last few years that I've been cyber. I think I had been in cyber for a long time before that and not necessarily realized it. A lot of time in IT infrastructure and operations in organizations that didn't have dedicated security teams. And, you know, so I had to had to fill that role where all the hats is as the single person in those those organizations running IT. What do you do in the day job now? And obviously don't give away too much about your secrets, but you know, what do you do in the day job? What's it what's it like now being the accidental CISO? So I, I actually stepped away from my CISO role towards the very end of last year took the leap to uh, start consulting, something I'd wanted to do for a very long time. And so now I've got the opportunity to help other people also sort of accidental CISOs and and realizing that they need to build security programs and they've they've never done it. They have no idea how and they need help. And so I'm able to help uh, my clients with that sort of thing now. Accidental CISO becomes purposeful VCISO. Is that the journey I'm hearing? <laughs> that's that's sort of sort of how it goes. You're gonna have to change your handle on Twitter, man. <laughs> I, I'm not changing the handle. I like it too much. <laughs> Accidental CISO. I, I loved it. The first time I ran into you on Twitter, I saw the name and immediately howled with laughter. I saw the description and howled even further, and then I just started following your stuff. I've been a fan ever since I found you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I didn't ask for this. <laughs> just, I love your byline. For those who don't know his byline, go check out Accidental Twitter on CISO. Just do it. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the basics here. So I'm not sure what normal entry into cyber is or what the normal promotion to CISO is. In other words, we all talk about this abstract normal. I'm not sure what it is, but I think you and I have both had our own interesting journey to the role. How did you become a CISO? How did you? How did accidental CISO happen? I don't know that there is a normal. So I, I became the CISO, I think, by virtue of simply trying to help. And as we were going through the course of preparing for uh, an audit, one of the, the requirements, we had to identify who is the security officer as we were documenting the security program to build it. And and I made the mistake of asking who the security officer was. And, you know, the answer was, well, that's you. <laughs> 
it, it was all downhill from there, basically. It's actually a lot of fun. I found that I enjoyed doing the, uh, the the compliance and the program building and and the the leadership side of things a whole lot more than I thought I would coming from a, a very technical background. I got you there, and I you know I grew up through the technical ranks as well. Same story. These days, I'm still a geek. Like I geek out at home. I've got, you know, my podcast rig is a bazillion pieces of technology and I've got a Linux laptop sitting next to my Mm -hmm. my Windows gaming PC. And, you know, I still geek out at home, but at work, I'm so much more focused on the leadership, on the business, on the driving and shaping than I am the geeking out. I just don't geek out like I used to at work ever since ever since I became a CISO. Uh, And I'm comfortable with that. Uh, so much more of it is I, I joke on on exchange. Somebody tweeted the other day about what's a, a security tool that you were skeptical about at first, and and that you've you've come to embrace. And my answer was Excel. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's really the truth. I spend so much time in in Excel. Uh, you know, some of it's you know trying to slice and dice data, but other, other things it's like you know. And somebody made a comment. It's the second best tool for pretty much anything. <laughs> You know, it, it just works. And it's funny, though, judging by the number of people who have direct messaged me and commented, I don't think this accidental CISO thing is terribly uncommon. I think a lot of people get into building a security program and, and somebody has to be named. Right. You know, somebody ends up drawing the short straw. And even in the short time that I have been consulting now, I have two different clients who I've had to have that conversation with about, you know, who is the security officer at your org? And they're having to go through that process yeah. to figure out who's, who's it going to be. Right. And so that tells me my, my story is, is far from unique. Oh, I, I agree. And I get asked all the time uh, from folks that are either breaking into cyber or are already in cyber and want to become a CISO one day. And I get asked all the time, how did you do it? How should I do it? How do I break in? And my answer is always like, I, my story is weird. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I don't know that I've got any advice for you. I stumbled into it. I, I you know, accidental yeah. CISO is pretty much how it started with me as well. Um, I was doing security work in IT, and then I got tapped to join engineering. I built out a product security program, ran that for many, many years. And then one day the new CIO tapped me on the shoulder and said, didn't you used to be one of us? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you're the security guy now. Uh-huh. How would you like to come over and be my CISO? Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and the rest is history. Um, so, so how about you? You know, what is your guidance? What is your advice when people ask you, how do I break it? How do I become a CISO? What's, what's your answer? It's, it's like I, I tell my kid, when you stop looking for it, it's when you find it sort of right. thing. I, I don't want to say don't chase it and it'll happen because, you know, that I think that's a little too glib. The role is different than what I ever would have thought it was. It is a, a business focused role, you know, business and people Mm -hmm. really. And it is at the intersection of business, people, process, and technology. Um, And you can draw on your, your, your technical background, but you, you have to understand the business. You've, you've got to be able to focus on the why for the business um, and understand the organization as a system of what are its goals? How does it work? And not just technically, how does it work, but how do the, how do the different departments work? How do the, how do the teams work? How do they interrelate? How does the business make money is another big thing, because ultimately, as the, the security person, you, you have to be able to enable the business. You know, security is a you're not directly responsible for doing all the things, but you still have to help them figure out how to how to get it done and figure out how to enable them and get folks to do what they need to do and, and maybe think it's their idea, uh, you know, and solve their problems and you know, I, I've always said they don't have to know that you're solving a security problem. Right. 
you know, you may just be solving an efficiency problem. You may be solving a resource problem. You may be solving a, a team interaction problem. They don't have to know it's security right. that you're ultimately trying to fix as you're helping them with a tool or a process improvement or, you know, something like that. Yeah, I call those the twofers. Um, Whenever you can score a security goal while also simultaneously scoring a business goal, um, you know, efficiency, streamlining, mm -hmm. time to market, you know, accelerating. Uh, yeah process, you know, cutting time off of whatever, if you can, yep. if you can slap a security goal alongside a higher order business goal and win both in one go, boy, that's, that's when you're winning yeah. the game, right? Apply your tech background to those things and, and you can really, really set yourself up for success. If, if this is the, the role you, you truly run and you just have to understand that it's, it's not a technical role because uh, I think a lot of folks that think that it's the pinnacle of the progression of a security career might be disappointed when they get there and realize, gosh, I'm, I, I don't feel like I'm doing anything that's truly, you know, cyber or whatever right now. Right. I'm doing less security than I <laughs> thought I would. Drive and, spreadsheets. And, and way more, yeah, way more Excel, right? And it's interesting, you just use the phrase, you know, leverage your technical background. And it's funny, when I first started really leading security teams and got away from hands-on and got more focused on the business, my teams used to ask me, what's the transition like? How did you do it? Like, doesn't your job suck now? Aren't you miserable? You don't get to play with the toys anymore. And I said, the pivotal moment for me was when I recognized what I had always done as a hacker was face a system, figure out its rules, figure out its grammar and its syntax, its strengths and its weaknesses, and then figure out how to use those to my advantage. And all I did when I became a business leader in security was turn around and looked at the business as if it was the computer I was hacking. That was the big transitional <laughs> moment for me, seeing the Just enterprise system. as the hacking target. And all of a sudden, everything made sense, and I was developing cool new tools and, and solutions, and, and life moved forward. <laughs> Accidental CISOs often start from a position of newness, right? Not just for themselves in the role, which I think we've covered pretty well, but also for their teams, right? I've walked in the door as a new CISO yeah. without any team at all, and it's like, oh, man, I got to, you know, I'm not only their first CISO, there's no centralized security team, right? So what is your guidance to CISOs who need to build a team and get one started? Pray. <laughs> you know, good, good luck getting the headcount just for security. It, it is a difficult sell. If you are new to leadership and you're, you're new to having to justify the cost of headcount and, and those types of things and convince, you know, the CEO or the CFO or whoever it is that has to bless that, that request to hire that you do indeed need these people, that, that these are full-time jobs. And it is very, very difficult to learn. I think knowing exactly what skills it, it is that, that you need. And that's for, for two reasons. One is because when you create the job descriptions, one of the issues we talk about a lot in, in secure is we get these kitchen sink job descriptions that are just are terrible and nobody really knows what, what the job is. And people try to cram too much into it because they're only going to get one head. So understand what are the skills you really have to have and focus on that and out, look at what you can outsource, uh, you know, start with, start with outsourcing maybe too. Right. And, and look at, can you bring in you know, a, a outside provider to help with getting the program started, bringing in the, the skills that you need or, or, you know, the fingers to keyboard help to, to, to drive th some things. And maybe even outsourcing just within the, or insourcing whatever within your org. If you can find somebody in IT that has some skills that you can borrow, you, you may be able to get some help there as well. But the other, other reason you need to, to know these skills as, as you work on it is, I was talking to uh, another friend of mine a while back, Zate, he goes by on, on Twitter about how he handles headcount and he, he creates a skills matrix 
of the skills that he needs and where the gaps are so he can identify these are the skills we're missing. And then as he starts trying to layer those onto headcount, he can take those to its fractions of a head that add up to create a full person uh, or a full position. And then part of it too is, is you're convincing folks to hire the, the fact that you aren't necessarily hiring somebody to keep them busy. You know, do we have enough work to keep the person busy isn't really the right question. It's an irrelevant question. You're hiring to have the skills there and available when you need them so that when something happens, you can respond. When there is work to do, it doesn't slip through the cracks or get delayed. So, you know, it may be one of those things where you can't keep somebody busy 100% of the time. And that should never be the goal because then they've got no slack anyway. But helping helping leadership understand that I've got enough to cover a half a person and try and get get them to approve a full-time rec for half a person's stuff to plug these critical skills and look at it as basically if we don't have these skills, it could cost us this. And it's way less expensive to hire a full-time person for this role that we don't quite have enough to do for everything yet to try to save not having those skills when, when something happens and we we, we can't get the work done uh, and the, the project falls through the cracks. So there's a delay in, you know, a release or whatever, you know, on the, you mentioned the, the product side, if you've got somebody that doesn't have time to review the security side of a product release, you get delayed the release, or you just going to ship without doing your risk assessment stuff. That's expensive. And, you know, maybe you just need to have that person if you can't outsource it and, and it's time to bring it in. Earlier in the conversation, neither one of us used mm -hmm. the word sales or sell even, mm -hmm. but that's exactly what we've both described throughout this conversation. We were talking about selling the the actual security mission and the role of the CISO and all that. It's the exact same story that I'm hearing from you, you know, for the team itself. And I love this sales approach of, yeah, we may not have enough for a full-time role, but look at all these critical functions we need. I love that selling the functions because if the functions are tied to the risks and you're selling the functions you're going to get your headcount way more likely than if you're just blindly saying, I need three guys because of this thing that we do and, you know, and start the security story. And it's, it's the exact same story with the tech stack. If you can't tie it to the risk, tie it to the business objectives, sell them where they live on this tech stack. It's the exact same story, I think, for the, for the headcount and for the tech stack both. And that's, yeah. that's a brilliant, it's a brilliant way to slice and dice it. Look at capabilities, basically treating the humans the same way you treat the tech stack. If we don't get a solution that protects our endpoints, you know, or, or, you know, for the human side, if we don't get a human who knows how to protect endpoints, yeah. it's a great way to look at it. I think it's a, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the quick, quick things you can outsource first is, is the monitoring where, where you need 24 seven monitoring. Get an MSSP. Instead of trying to hire a team, get an MSSP. You're paying a fraction of what it costs to have those people on staff and you don't have to try and staff for full-time coverage 24, seven, 365, and still be able to cover vacations and sick time and, Yep. everything else. I mean, you're going to have to just to cover 24, seven, 365 internally, you know, how many heads are you going to have to hire? You know, yep. five, eight. <laughs> yep. And what's, it's not just the MSSPs either. There's so much of the tech stack that's becoming SaaS based now and simple low cost subscription. Mm -hmm. I talked to a guy today. That's a buddy of mine. Who's about to, he's, he's, he's debating taking a job at a place and he called me for guidance. And this particular company is a SaaS based vulnerability management solution for small, medium businesses. They target small businesses and it's mm -hmm. like, I forget what he said, you know, 50 bucks a month and you've got all the vulnerability yeah. scanning and management you could want for your entire organization. Like, okay, that sure beats, you know, again, just outsource, man. That's always available and there's always affordable options, even, you know, for the human element, for the tech stack element, yeah. there's ways to farm that out. So I'm, yeah. I'm a big believer in that too. I, I would argue my favorite shop to date in terms of tech stack 
every single product we had in our tech stack was SaaS based. Everything was up in the mm-hmm. cloud. Everything was off yeah. offsite, offline, and it's amazing. You know, you don't have to worry about patching anymore. Like there's there's all these benefits to, to exactly. farming it out. There's tons of benefits yep. to farming it out. Yeah, if if you can't even get the budget to hire one head, you know, why would you why would you deploy internal tools that you have to maintain and patch and support the operational overhead of that? It just it doesn't make sense. You know, yep. the, the cloud tools are are where it's at. It lets you run a, a very small team and still have the capabilities you need. And ultimately, that's that's what it is about focusing on the the capabilities of the team. Yeah, we're we're back to your slicing and dicing the the roles in terms of hey, we've got skills we need, we've got tech stack exactly. we need. Spend these $5 here, those $10 there, you'll get 90% of what you need versus I could just come at you blindly asking for a headcount and a giant tech stack, right? It's a great approach. So I think we've already touched on this one a little bit. Let's let's make sure we feel like we've closed the loop. So we talked about what it takes to build the team and get one started. What about getting the practice itself off the ground? With the practice itself, and especially for accidental CISOs, uh, you know, this is the, the big thing too, is, is it's the folks that are trying to build the security program, get the practice off the ground from a position that is less than ideal in the company is this is where it, it is super, super important. Not that, you know, a, somebody who comes in as a board reporting CISO also doesn't have to do this, but somebody, especially at a disadvantaged position in the company is, is relationships. It really comes down to forming relationships across the company to be able to garner support and influence folks when you may not have the direct I don't want to say clout, you know, because influence is clout, but you don't necessarily have the direct authority to just command and you you speak it and therefore it is going to be done sort of thing. It, you know, you can't come push people around. So you, you have to form relationships. They have to understand that you're looking out for their best interests in this, that, that you're not only looking out for what you need, because everything that I've gone to other teams for <laughs> to solve my security problems, I can either focus on how am I going to solve a problem for them? Or I can so, or I can solve how am I solving my problem and they just have to deal with it. And so I can either be viewed as somebody who's just making more work for them, or I can be somebody who's helping to facilitate and, and enable them. So forming those relationships is really what sets you up to be able to to go with that model of be viewed as somebody who is looking out for them, enabling them, and and solving their problems in the process. That's the the biggest thing of of trying to get the, the practice up and going. And then, you know, the same thing with, with outsourcing. This is where you can bring in somebody to a fractional, a few hours, you know, it, it maybe a few thousand dollars, but they can come in and they can help you look, you know, pick the framework if you don't already have a framework. If you don't have a strong, you know, a regulatory reason, you know, HIPAA, you know, a high trust framework or something like that is pretty obvious. But if you're in an organization that doesn't, that the customers aren't demanding a specific framework and you don't necessarily have a, a strong regulatory reason to go with a specific framework, how do you pick the best one? Like you can bring somebody to help you pick that best framework that's right and and start right-sizing the program and get the policies and and high-level processes and those types of things in place. And, and it's a good way to, to, to bootstrap the, the system. You know, we were talking about the team coming to you as you become the leader and the questions they ask and, the, you yeah. know, aren't, aren't you weird now and aren't you upset now? You don't get to play on the tech stack and, you know, how do I become a CISO and all these questions. One of the biggest pieces of advice I have given those who start to climb the management ranks when you become a director, I tell everybody, by the time you've hit director, you should be spending more of your time outside of your team and organization than you spend inside. In other words, the directors of the company to me are the glue. If you look at every role as having an up, out, and down, to me, directors are focused on out. 
the director from the IT department and the director from the security department and the director from the HR department and the director from the marketing department should all become thick as thieves and all start cross-talking and cross-training. And this is where that awareness comes from. You talked about by the time you hit the top that you've got to have the business skills, you've got to have the, the capabilities and the understanding of what the business is about. I think it starts at that director level. And the whole key is that word you said, relationships. I think if you do yeah. not have relationships, you're going to fail even starting at sort of the middle management layers, right? Something else that can also impact and, and cause failure in this too is not being able to let go of the technical stuff below yes. you when you get to that. And and it requires leadership support above. Because if you've got leadership that says, well, we, we can't have managers that only manage, they have to also do. Uh, and yeah. you're expected to be the guy that's in doing the work and then turning around and also managing. That, that context switching is very difficult. It happens a lot in small orgs, but as the team starts to grow, you can't be the support and the air cover for your team if you're also jumping in and sticking your hands in systems and, and having to, to do that work. And you've got to let go of that. You've got to give that to your team and help bring them up to speed. The gear switching becomes almost impossible. Not only are you failing to be there as the air cover and the leader and the things they need you to be on the daily, one second I'm deep in a Linux kernel and the next second I'm in a business meeting showing forecasts and projections and like that, that gear switching is impossible to pull off. At some point, yeah. you just have to walk away from the blinky lights. You have to. In some ways, being too involved, I found is you've got the burden of the knowledge of all the details as you're sitting in the high level meetings and sometimes not having all that in the weeds knowledge is a benefit when you're having to talk to other leaders and stay out of the weeds because it's just, it's not even in your head to begin with, you know, and for folks that are very technical and come up the technical track, that's, that's very difficult to do. Yeah, no, I agree. I grew up in the technical ranks and I, I, you know, I hadn't thought about that before, but not knowing details is actually beneficial at this stage in my career. It really is. Mm -hmm. It's the times I know the details that I have to do more conscious filtering of my story, of my narrative, of my data points it's super easy to sit in front of a CEO and go, well, we tweak the firewall to, you know, wait, stop. Don't talk about tweaking firewalls, you know, like stop here and have a business conversation. It's the more details, you know, the more you have to consciously filter out. That's a great point. There's being the first CISO, your first time as a CISO, and then there's being the company's first CISO, which is something I've had mm -hmm. the delightful pleasure of doing a, a few times now, being their first CISO. Uh, I'm actually debating writing an entire book called Their First CISO, which is all about what do you do? And I'd love to hear your advice when it's their first CISO. What is your advice and what is your guidance? Because this isn't just about you stumbling into the role. This is about the business has just stumbled into the role. And congrats, you're the sucker. It's, would the audience for that be the CEO of the company that's hiring their first CISO? Or would this be for the CISO that's stepping into that role? I think for the CISO who's stepping into the role. That's okay. that's the book I want to write because there's been plenty of advice on, hey, so you've become a CISO for the first time, but specifically mm -hmm. you become their first CISO, I think is an area that hasn't been addressed a lot. And I think there's also room for a, a book or at least a portion of a book with the audience being the CEO and, yeah. and yeah. the board as well to help them really understand because as the first CISO, what I've experienced and what I've heard from a lot of folks, because the things I've, when I would talk about this on, on Twitter and in, you know, back channels and, and stuff like on Discord is you spend so much time educating, managing up when you're the, the first CISO. They don't understand security. Yep. They have no idea what your job really is yep. at that point. They don't know what you're supposed to be doing. They have no, have, have no idea how to know if you're doing a good job. And you've got to figure out what it is that they're interested in. How do I communicate to them and paint the picture, help them understand what your job is, how they're going to know that you're doing a good job 
in a non-biased way that they can trust that you're not just blowing smoke up to their rear, yeah. but they understand this is, this is how you should be measuring me and then showing them the information of, okay, here's, here you go. Here's how I'm performing against that. I think there's a, there's some tools that a lot of folks also don't think about when they're in the thick of becoming the, the first ESO, but getting some sort of a tool, you know, a governance risk and compliance tool, or, or, or maybe just, you know, security program management tools, sort of scaled down versions of those that allow you to get your, your security program documented in a database that can, can give you some nice, pretty charts and graphs that can show change over time and right. show current state. This is where we want to go. Here's how we're tracking to it. And those tools to be able to help with that and help collect the data. So you're doing a little bit less manually, I think is, is something else that, you know, somebody coming into a company for the very first time, having a tool like that as well is going to help with that education and keeping folks up, up to date on what's really going on in this, because they aren't, aren't going to know. And, and cultural security is the other piece. If you're stepping in, they've never had a CISO before, you're probably not going to have security awareness training that is focused on creating a culture of security, helping people truly understand their role in security and keeping it forefront in somebody's mind. So, so driving that culture of security, not just with an annual security awareness training, but get stuff out, you know, email, monthly, I won't call it a newsletter necessarily, but just some sort of security thing that they can use. And it doesn't all have to be work-related. It can be personal stuff about social media and, and whatnot, but just things to get people thinking about it and drive that. And it's got to be more than just phishing tests and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I see phishing tests as a great way to measure the efficacy of your training program. But, you know, we, we talk about this on, on, on Twitter a lot. Every time it comes up and somebody will, you know, make the comment, like, we know it's possible to trick somebody into clicking a link. Like right. That, that's really all the phishing test Duh. is, is yeah. showing if you're not using it to benchmark your training right. and looking at how well your training program is working, for example. Yeah. So for the phishing test, for me, I only focus on the positive. I want to see the reporting mm -hmm. rates. I want to see an increase, right. a steady increase in the number of people that yes. reported my fake fish. That's what I want to see. I don't care about the clicks. We know you can trick someone right. into clicking. I don't care who yeah. you are, where you are. There's some crafty email. I remember one time I got the CEO to click. Because the company was being purchased and I faked a TechCrunch article on the secrets behind the purchase, I even got the CEO to click. You can get awesome. someone to click no yeah. matter what. That's not the goal. The goal is to get people reporting. That's the positive yeah. goal you're striving for, that's, right? Right. That's the training. Are people recognizing it? And are they reporting it through the channels that, that they're supposed to report it? Are they responding to the training that you've put forth for yep. exactly how to do those things? And and there's one from your list that, that I didn't hear that I always love to add. And I, I'm in full agreement, by the way, with the approaches you described for being their first CISO. It's, it's all in alignment with what I've done. Uh, there's one other one, which is building a security council, finding yes. leaders at the VP level all over the business and saying, congrats, collectively, we are the security council. We own security for this company. And I deliberately chose marketing, HR, legal, you know, da, 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 da sales yeah. and everybody else. And we collectively, as the vice presidents from our respective business units, are now the security council. We are going to drive the change. We are going to be the champions, you know, in each of our respective departments and, and getting that buy-in, right? Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, again, you didn't use the word sell or selling, but that's really what you're talking about. When you're their first CISO, um, the joke I always use is you have to sell twice. You have to sell the problem. And then you sell the solution. You have to sell the problem and then you sell the solution. You have to sell the problem, you know, on and on and on, right? It's, it's a selling twice for every, every one victory sort of approach. And so to me, getting their buy-in and getting them to take ownership early on is, is just hugely critical. Yes. So we're getting to the end of the show here. Uh, I got one last question I ask every guest. Accidental CISO, 
What keeps you going in cyber? Why are you motivated to get out of bed in the morning and do more of it? It's fun. It's it's just what I do. <laughs> I mean, I, ever, ever since I was a little kid, the, you know, I, I would get new toys or new whatever. And the first thing I was, how's this thing work? I want to take it apart and that sort of thing. Like, it's just, you know, the the, the maker, hacker, whatever you want to call it. Like, that, that's just part of who I am. So I'm not sure that I could ever, ever just shake it. So I think that's kind of what keeps me going is it's just kind of, it's just who who I am. I, I I like this stuff. I like systems. I like seeing how you can bend and break them and make them do things that, that you want to do, whether it's a computer system or a people system or a business system or, or what have you. I'm right there with you, man. I love that answer. Well, thank you so much, Accidental CISO. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.